0: Forty-seven. So Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. I'll be reading from the NIV. So please follow along as I read. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, Added to their number daily, those who are being saved. This is the word of God.
1: Uh, good morning. I see a few tired faces, right? People stayed up late, people had fun. That's all cool. But if you do feel like the person next to you is about to nod off, you have my permission to not violently but helpfully give them a slap pinch, punch, whatever it takes to wake them up. Um, I'm hoping that this will, this final session will be really worth us having our attention because it's actually really, I think it's a topic that will be dear to all of our hearts because if you don't want this for Kingsway, then um, something is really going to be missing, isn't it? Uh, a church that does life together. Uh, most of you, some of you at least, would have heard of Francis Chan. Do, do you know Francis Chan? The um, honorary celebrity Asian pastor, so we all love Francis Chan. Um, anyway, he, um, he talked about a gang member who got saved and then baptized in his church. This was years back. But then after about a year, this converted gang member disappeared. And so a leader in the congregation noticed that, and so he went to look for him and finally found him and, and asked him, hey, what happened? You, you know, things were going well. You got, you got saved. You, you got baptized why have you suddenly gone from our church? And the gang member replied, you know what, I had the wrong idea about what I thought church would be. He said, I thought it'd be like family, like a different kind of family. You see, when I was in the gangs, we hung out together. We watched each other's backs. We took care of each other. We committed to each other 24-7, not just two meetings a week. When I got here at church, it was like each one was on his own. There was no reason for me to be here with these people. And Francis Chan said that that, when he heard about that, it broke his heart. That the gang was better at being the church than the church was at being the church. Wouldn't that be heartbreaking? And how vastly different it is from the description of the early church. We read from Acts 2. I want to show you... Just a couple of chapters later, another beautiful picture of what church should look like. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Don't you want a church like that? We should. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, as we see the picture of the model church, we know that we are far from that. No matter how well things are going, this is probably not our experience, at least mostly, of life together. But we long for life together to be like this. And so we pray that this morning as you speak to us through your word, that it won't just be an interesting lesson in what the early church was like, but that you'll show us paths that we might become the church that you want us to be, a church of people who are knitted together deeply, that do life together. Because we know how attractive that is for the gospel and how much we all long for that and need that. So make Kingsway, make us a church like that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have uh, three points. I want to talk about the model church, the modern church, and then the mended church. Okay, I'll start with them. Uh, Firstly, let's have a quick look at Acts chapter 2 and 4. We'll kind of uh, draw from both passages. Um, It says there that in verse 42 of chapter 2 that they were devoted to fellowship, or literally devoted to the fellowship. Um, Fellowship is one of those vastly overused words in Christian circles, right? We mean fellowship, well we say fellowship when we mean everything from morning tea to karaoke socials. Uh, but the word itself, uh, the original word in the Greek is the word koinonia. It's a deep partnership, a deep sharing. When applied to the Christian life, it means something probably like doing life together. And that's what the early church did. That's what they were notice they were devoted to the fellowship they were devoted to doing life together and you see what they did together they learned together they were like hungry sponges who couldn't get enough of learning from the apostles from god's word um they were devoted to eating together now we understand that right especially those of us um from ethnic cultures it's like eating is such a part of what makes life worthwhile (laughs) Eating together is part of what binds us. Well, they're from that kind of culture as well, right? Breaking bread was a a family life sort of thing that they did. And that was what they were devoted to doing. They were devoted to praying together. And I hope just yesterday morning, the sermon on a praying church reminds us how important it is to be praying together. And then notice this, they met together daily. They didn't just go to church. They were the church and they churched pretty much all the time. And then we read in chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Okay, this was a model of life together. But then next, they were generous. Both chapters talk about how they shared all of their goods. They didn't consider any of what they had was their own. Now, we'll come back to it later, but you know the prerequisite of being able to share with each other and give to anyone as they had need? it requires the needs of the community to be openly known to each other. Like that in itself is a big deal, right? Especially in an honor-shame society. And we'll come to that later, but I wonder, is Kingsway the kind of church where people with all sorts of needs actually feel able to make needs known? Because a church can fall short on meeting people's needs, sometimes because they're not generous, but... Often church members willing to be generous, but we have church cultures that people don't feel like they can share what they really need. They're too polite or they're trying to protect their own pride or whatever it is. They're not safe to do that. The early church wasn't like that. They openly made known their needs and they met each other's needs. That's amazing, isn't it? Next, it was a joyful church. Not for a moment was this selling of everything they owned to give. Like that was not begrudging. So in chapter 2, verses 46 to 47, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere sincere hearts, praising God. Um, Here's the thing when you read all throughout the New Testament. God does not promise the Christian life to be easy, but the Christian life is supposed to be joyful. Joy even in the midst of suffering. If you think that joy is an optional extra, this model church was overflowing with joy and thanksgiving. And last of all, in case you think that this would make them really like insular and clicky, you know, they met every day, that means it was just them, away from the world. That wasn't the case, right? Do you remember we read in chapter 2, verse 46? They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and then notice this, enjoying the favor of all people. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, this is an attractive church. We talked in my first talk about, you know, centripetal mission, about outside in, when a church is like this, and all throughout history, healthy churches almost don't have to run evangelistic programs to convert people. People are just drawn to them by what a model of life together is, of a little taste of heaven. That's what it's supposed to be like. Um, I mean, we could spend much more time in Acts chapter 2 and 4, but I hope... Just even that little taste has made you envious. Like you should be envious, shouldn't you, of this model church. As well as any of our churches are going, as well as I've seen Kingsway is going, I hope there's still a sense of dissatisfaction until Kingsway is like that. Because we spend our time going to church. They were active in being the church. And look what effect that had that's model church but you and i know that church experience for the majority of us for at least if you've been a christian for a long period of time maybe especially longer than kingsway has been around that's not really most of our experience of church we don't fellowship like this we don't share our lives together like this and you may be here and i mean it's it's a little bit like preaching to the converted here to the choir, because you're here, most of you here, because you want to invest in the relationships here, and there's a, there's a degree of, um, uh, of investment, I mean, of payoff, even just a weekend away. You'll feel that much closer to each other after a weekend like this. And that's a really great thing that you want to capitalize on. So in a sense, doing this at a, as a, at a weekend is, is a little bit um, artificial, but just take the week-to-week church gatherings. There are going to be people in those gatherings, and maybe even you here, where you really do feel like no one really knows the real you. That you have to put on a show, or you feel like a bit of a fraud. That there's the you that everyone else sees, and then the you that no one else knows, and there's a big kind of disjunction. Or you really feel like friendships can actually be fairly superficial, or if you don't belong into the right clique, you don't really belong, and you just haven't told anyone about that. Um, That's probably very normal experience for a lot of people, a lot of Christians in a lot of churches. So what's the solution if this is the modern church? It's not like the model church. Well, I mean, one thing I could do is just, you know, encourage you all to join groups, get involved, you know, make sure you go to a growth group, make sure you come to weekend away and stuff like that. But I reckon we do need to go a lot deeper, don't we? If we're going to be the kind of church that does life together, we need to ask the right questions. And the first question I want to ask is, Well, why isn't that the case? Why is it that the vast majority of the modern church or our experience of church isn't going to, it hasn't been like that? And the simple reason is this. It's fear. All right, I want to propose that the simple, deep, core reason that we're not like this is fear. You see, you want to think about why the picture of the church in Acts actually not just unsettles us, makes us dissatisfied and envious, actually, in some sense, outrages us. Because as we look at Acts chapter 2 and 4, a lot of us are thinking, this just can't happen in reality, right? I can't be that devoted to life together. How is it possible that Christians could be that generous, that joyful? What stops us from thinking this is possible is our experience. What stops us from pushing all the way into that radical idea of church is ultimately, I think, because we're afraid. We're afraid of what that means. We're afraid of what it would cost. And the fear thing that stops us actually goes back all the way back in the Bible to the original sin and fall and the original fracture of relationships. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 3 and just remind you what happened when the man and the woman sinned. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So much in there I want to pick up on. I want to talk firstly about the core emotion. Did you notice? I was afraid. Do you know that fear lies at one of the, it's one of the deepest core emotions that we have. It's what's called a basic emotion. See, a lot of our emotions are surface emotions that come out of things like fear. Fear drives other surface emotions, things like anger and hatred, attitudes such as malice and greed, and behaviors such as criticism and contempt. Often you dig deep enough and at the core of it is fear. You may not even know this, but it actually is true when you think about it. Fear lies at the base of all of almost all of our negative emotions and the way we got it is through adam and eve that's the core emotion fear what about the core motivation why was he adam and she eve why were they afraid he says there in verse 10 i heard you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked okay now remember in genesis 2 uh nakedness is actually a picture of intimacy in the garden Intimacy between the man and his wife. Intimacy between them and God. They were not afraid to be naked before chapter 3 because they weren't afraid of being exposed. Because when they were exposed, they weren't afraid of judgment or criticism or rejection. But now look at the tragedy. He was afraid because he's naked. That is a spiritual problem, not just the fact that he didn't have clothes, okay? Adam is now afraid of being exposed, of being vulnerable of being rejected and isn't that actually a lot of the core motivations for our pulling back from God perhaps but also from each other do you see i i can't get myself to really share life with you to that degree because i'm afraid And what I'm afraid of is being exposed. And if I'm exposed, then you might reject me. And if I expose myself, showing my needs, you might not be able to meet those needs. And I'm afraid that I'll be left wanting. See, why is it that I can't sell my possessions and give it to you? Because I'm afraid that if I did that, it would leave me and my family exposed and you're going to take advantage of me. I can't share my life with you and invite you into my home because what if you saw me As I really was, and I was exposed before you, and then you judged me and rejected me. I can't join a growth group because I don't know how to give the right answers, and you might think less of me. I can't go to a prayer meeting because it might expose my discomfort in praying out loud with others. And and you can add to the list, right? Isn't that how it works? Fear drives our desire to hide. And that's the core strategy, the third one. So I hid. And that's what we do, right? At our core is our fear. In order to protect ourselves from our exposure, we hide. And so the obvious way we see that is we don't share lives, right? We keep each other at a distance, at least the distance enough to protect ourselves. We can have polite morning teas and lunches, play games together, but not deep relationships, because God forbid that you know I might struggle with porn or that I might yell at my kids or that I might suffer from jealousy or that I am petty and I get embittered by those who hurt me. Because if you knew, you would judge me. You would reject me. And so what I need to do, I need to hide. And so this is what happens. And I'll just give you a diagram. It's not working. Here we go. Oh, no, the one before that. Go back one slide. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Forward one slide. The one with the big circle. This is what needs to happen, right? The fear makes us have to put on a defensive outer layer. Because that outer layer protects us. And we're afraid of showing the core beneath that layer. Now, by the way, I wanted you to know that these outer layers, these defensive layers, are many and varied. People show it differently. Some will hide behind shyness, and sometimes that's the more obvious ones. I don't speak up, I don't speak out, uh, but it's not actually introversion that ultimately drives it. It's fear. But you know what? Others will hide behind the opposite. They hide behind being the center of attention. I will put forward the funny, popular me, but you'll never get to know the weak, fearful, real me. Some hide behind being critical, sarcastic, passive-aggressive. Some hide behind being the nice guy, the nice girl. You always say yes, you can't say no, because you're afraid that someone will stop liking you if you did say no. Do you see how it expresses itself in all these different ways? It's not obvious. Often in opposite ways, people express their defensive layers. But you see, what happens when an entire church community is made up of individuals who do this? You cannot do life together. Go to the next slide now, hopefully it'll. That's what church then looks like. And that's why the modern church is ultimately a bunch of people relating to each other just on their defensive outer layers, driven by fear, never really able to do life together. You see? So, what is the solution? Well, I want to show you firstly that there are wrong paths to mending. And the solution might surprise you. You might be thinking, okay, well, if we've got these outer layers, then we just need to be open. Let's just actually open ourselves to each other. Let's be honest with each other. And total openness may seem to you the obvious solution, but I want to suggest to you that it actually is not really. (laughs) Um, Let me read to you um, from an author who wrote about this. His name's Larry Crabb, and he wrote this. He says, consider what happens... If a congregation set about to develop intimate relationships through total openness, through bold disclosure of their previously disguised emotions. During the fellowship period following the service, a woman studies purpose sorry, strides purposefully towards another, takes a deep breath and shares, You know, I've never been fully honest with you. You've called me several times a week for months, and I've always said I welcome your calls and enjoyed them, but it's not true. I've endured your tiresome chatter and your catty complaints because I thought I should, but now I see I was just being phony, so I wanted to set the record straight. In another corner of the fellowship hall, a man thoughtfully sips his coffee and turns to another man standing near. George, listen, I've got to be honest with you. You asked me to play golf with you next week and I agreed. I've said yes to that invitation a dozen times, but only because I didn't have the guts to be honest. I don't enjoy spending four hours playing golf with you. Your childish temper when you miss a putt, the way you question my score, your endless run of stupid jokes really get to me. I guess I should have been more open about these feelings months ago. Now, it's a bit of a character, I know. Caricature, I know. But do you see the problem? What we've done there is we've replaced one problem, the problems of surface community. That's been solved. But now there's just deep hostility and division. Okay. The point is, you cannot solve deep fears by just exposing them, unless there is a way in which you can address these fears. You've got to address the fears. Without the fears being addressed, you cannot have people just open up. So what is the solution? Well, my third point, the mended church. Remember what I mentioned even in the last talk about being a welcoming church. You have to receive before you can give. It's a gospel principle. You have to receive before you can give. We love because He first loved us. And in fact, the context of Acts chapter 2 is, of course, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, actually, the first baptism of the Holy Spirit, the massive event. That was the context that drove the kind of church that they became. Even in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, much grace was upon them all. In other words, they didn't, discover pop psychology, or better techniques of sharing. They were filled by God himself, his love, his presence, his goodness, and then they overflowed. That's what the gospel does. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the only thing that will deal with our core fears. It's the only thing that will address our deepest worries and hurts And fears because it addresses our deepest problem. Our deepest problem, the cause of all that fear, back in Genesis 3, in our own lives, in this world, is what? Our sin, our rejection of God. Remember, it's sin that caused the core emotion, fear, that caused the core motivation, nakedness, hiding from nakedness, and the core strategy of hiding. It's sin that caused it. And only in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, do we get God dealing with them on our behalf in a sufficient and satisfying way. You see, Jesus came and He faced fear. Jesus was afraid. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? The night before He was crucified, He prayed there and He was sweating blood because He was afraid about what He was about to do. That He would have to face the wrath of God on our behalf and drink the cup of God's anger on our behalf. And that terrified Him that he would have to be rejected by his father not because he deserved it because we deserved it jesus faced fear on our behalf jesus was crucified in naked we often see paintings and tv shows and movies where the crucifixion of jesus he's got something on in reality all crucified people were pretty much naked not just physically but it was a symbolic thing it was the ultimate exposure and that's what jesus did On the cross, exposed, He bore our guilt and our shame. And as we sung before, the Father had to turn His face away from His own Son. And Jesus didn't hide. Even though He was going to face all of that, He did not take the core strategy. He faced fear, He faced nakedness, and He went, Hebrews tells us, Right For the joy set before him, he went to the cross. You see, there is only one place that any of us can have our fears driven away and our fear of rejection dealt with. There is only one place where if you hide in that place at the foot of the cross, you will never need to hide again. And it's the message of the gospel. And a place like Romans 8 really makes it obvious. Romans 8 is a great chapter of the Bible. We should read the whole chapter, but here's just the beginning and the end. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Jesus, if you hide yourself in Him, that is, you trust in Him, you embrace Him, you cling to Him, there's no condemnation. Isn't that great news? doesn't matter what you've done. God who knows every single part of your deepest, darkest heart and secrets and all your sin and shame, He says, there is no condemnation. You will never be rejected. You will not be condemned. It will not be held against you. And then look at the end. Famous verses. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Chapter starts with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. What a beautiful, wonderful gospel. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that deal with your deepest fears? You'll never be rejected by God, no matter how you open up, that you are secure in His love, no matter what happens, no matter how much you screw up that there is nothing you can expose to God or others that will ever put you in His bad books, ever, because of Jesus? So I wonder for a moment, just ask the question, have you actually experienced this? This may be just head knowledge for some of you, but not experiential knowledge, and head knowledge is not going to be enough. Because if you haven't experienced this, or if you haven't drunken deeply of it recently, and constantly drink deeply from it, you know what, it will cripple your ability to experience life together as god intended because your default is going to be to be like that m&m right the defensive outer layer fear in the middle hiding your core self so i hope you got an idea now already of what is the gospel strategy towards change towards becoming the mended church the first thing is this Will you be honest with God? And I want, we'll give you an opportunity to do that when we respond in a moment and pray. But be honest with God. Have you told Him about the fears that lie at your core that no one else sees? Have you shared that with God? Have you been honest to yourself and honest to God about those fears? Because if you've been afraid to be honest even with God about them, then you're actually robbing yourself of Him really addressing those fears and filling you with security. So the first thing, be honest with God. And then to ask Him to fill you next, right? Because if you're really honest to God and and you have said, hey God, you know, this is what I am. These are things I'm really afraid of. You will feel helpless to change, (laughs) And you are helpless to change yourself. You will feel helpless to address those fears. And you might see that what you've been doing all your life is trying to address these fears in the only ways you know how, but they don't really address them, do they? But then you, as you feel more naked than you've ever been before, you're actually in a good position. That's a good thing. Because then you can ask God to do what He can only do supernaturally that He can fill you. Then you can rely completely on Him. Then you can give up trying to address those fears yourself, trying to fill up the gaps yourself, because you can't will your fears away. Only God's acceptance of you in Jesus, experienced by His Holy Spirit, can. So ask God to fill you. If there's one prayer that God wants to answer, that's going to be that one. So pray it. You will receive it, guaranteed. And then, and only then, will you be able to see that overflow. Overflow outwards. Because suddenly you're not afraid to be honest about your struggles and weaknesses. And you're also not motivated out of self-interest. You know that example I gave of the golf guy and the, you know? Ultimately, they were sharing openly and honestly. It was actually out of self-interest. They were trying to offload their own masks and being honest but it wasn't for the sake of the other person they just kind of dumped the honesty on the other person and actually turns out to be hurtful no 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 what happens when you are filled is you're no longer you know motivated out of self-interest to share or to be open or to be honest because your fears have been addressed and you don't also have to feel like you need to work to be accepted by others because you're already accepted by God in Christ you aren't afraid to be generous because you know that God has given you all the security you need in Him. You're even a, you even allow others, you even take the risk for others to possibly take advantage of you. Now, it doesn't mean you're stupid, right, or foolish. You don't go sign up to every Ponzi scheme that calls you up. But it means that in the context of church relationships, you're willing to take a risk. Yes, I might be taken advantage of, but I'm willing to risk that because you know what? I took advantage of God. And look how he loved me. Do you see what I mean? You're willing to take the risks. And that's how life together really works. It works if everyone, filled by God, addressed, having their fears addressed, now go around seeking to fill others for their good. And that's a different strategy to the total openness strategy, right? This is the principle of love. Because only perfect love drives out fear. Through our gospel deeds and our gospel words, we come not from our core of fear, but our core of love. And only love, as we relate to another person who's kind of hiding behind their shell, only love will allow them to have their fears addressed. It's the only chance that they will be willing to come out of their shell. Right? It's not going to be easy. That's not just going to be like one relationship, one interaction. This is got to be a culture of people relating to each other patiently over many years, many conversations, many ups and downs. But that's how you get there. That's how you get to doing life together. Um, so just a couple of hints before I finish up. Uh, Don't go around exposing yourself for the sake of openness. Remember, your motivation is love. So work out how you can apply love and encouragement to others by reaching beneath their layers to help them feel secure enough so that they will relate from their core, away from just their defensive layer. Be aware that everyone will hide in some way. Everyone has fears. You don't necessarily need to speak openly about those fears Because you're conscious of the fact that they, like you, are needy and fearful. All right? So you don't want to push when people are not ready. This is not about pushing each other, you know? It's actually about reading and understanding where each other are at and being patient with that. And it may involve sharing your fears and your struggles, but again, do it for the sake of the other person. Do it because it will encourage them. It will bring them out. It will assure them that they're not alone, that they don't have to hide you do it for them. It may involve, it should involve, attending community life events. Of course, getting involved in growth groups, going to meetings and opening your home and hanging out with people, they're important. But again, you'll see those not as an end in itself. They're not just going to, you know, magically, if you go to enough karaoke socials or play enough games, everyone's going to come out of the shell. It doesn't just happen. They become a means to an end, that these times become a chance for you to work out how to better connect, and therefore love and encourage other people. But most importantly, it is the gospel, right? The gospel has to drive our conversations, our actions. It's got to be grace-filled. It's got to be Christ-centered. It's got to be love-filled. Everything I've experienced this weekend shows that you already know how to do that. Keep doing that because only the gospel can address those fears. Only the gospel has a chance of reaching beneath our outer shells. And then maybe we will have a better, better, closer picture to the kind of model church we read about, the kind of church that you want to belong to, church that does life together. I'm going to get the band up. We're going to get ready to sing. And I will get you to respond. Uh, maybe stand to your feet. Um, and as the band just kind of plays... I'm just going to follow those last three points um, as a guide to our prayers. And you can pray where you are to God all out loud. Um, and the first thing I want you to do is, even if you've done it before, just spend some time really being honest with God about your fears. What are you most afraid of in life? What are you most afraid of losing? What are you afraid most afraid of not having? Is it people's approval? Is it acceptance and love? Is it intimacy? You're afraid of being lonely, you're afraid of being rejected. You're afraid that people won't respect you. What is it? What is it? You're most fearful of, you're afraid of being hurt, you're afraid of I want you to just in your own words in the honesty that needs to come between you and god just just for a moment just just talk to god just say god this is these are things i'm afraid of why don't you do that to turn that honesty into a sorry and please sorry God that I've hid even from you please fill me ask him to fill you to address those fears ask him to show you how you can experience the security comes only from Jesus. Ask Him to fill you afresh, because it's been a while, maybe you've been dry and cold and you've not experienced His love in a really deep and meaningful way, maybe like you used to. Ask Him to fill you in the way that only He can. Why don't you do that? Finally, why don't you think of one person and pray that God would make you an instrument to be an encouragement to them in some little way that you might fill them with love, with acceptance, with hope because they're struggling, because they're lonely, because they're in need, or because you've known that for a long time but you've found it really hard because they might be difficult. They might have taken advantage of you. They might have hurt you. Why don't you just pray for that one person, that one relationship and ask God to overflow through you to them. Jesus, use us as instruments of love. And where there is hopelessness, we might sow hope. Where there is fear, we might bring the security that the gospel offers. That we might be people who do not walk around condemning and judging. But we might be people who, like Christ, will enfold those who are hurting and broken and fearful. So fill us and overflow through us to each other. And I pray that Kingsway may be a church. Where these layers are beginning even today to be broken down. Fears are beginning to be deeply addressed. And this might be a community that reflects in some little way of the model we see in Acts. So that more and more people may be daily brought into their fellowship. Because of how beautiful and attractive they look. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.